0: This story is told. It is told by me, or perhaps not, as it unfolds before, during, and after it happened, and at the time it happened, had not unfolded sufficiently in order to be told by me or somebody else. However, at the moment it had unfolded sufficiently, What had happened could only have happened to somebody who wasn't me in the first place, or now had ceased to be me. What time is it? I asked. Too early was the response. At the time when it happened, nothing appeared remarkable, unusual or frightening. In retrospect, that which happened seemed, at first, utterly unlikely, abnormal and terrifying. There is just one difficulty for the one that possesses the opportunity to rewind what happened that can recreate what unfolded in retrograde. What was strange, irregular or disturbing cannot be identified since what happened irreversibly transformed the mind of the individual involved. Previous to what unfolded, what happened could by no means have occurred. It was in fact an absolute anomaly, something that was so unusual or horrifying that it simply couldn't happen. No, in fact it was even worse, because something that couldn't happen was still something. A negative was at least a thing but this was worse. It could perhaps be most easily described as a negative negative. Not exactly, but almost, and for now, a double negation. Before it happened, what happened was something that couldn't, couldn't happen. But after it indeed had happened, It could, of course, not look like anything else than the most ordinary thing in the world. After all, it could and had happened, and how could that possibly be weird? Is it time yet? Almost. A young person has more future in front of herself than an older one. To announce, I'm too old, is to mourn one's vanishing future. At some point, the past catches up with your future. To live with the experience that one's future lies behind is to cope with loneliness. It is therefore a story that, however I tell it, cannot be told, as I have no overview but can gain access to what happened only from the future of the past. And what indeed did unfold is something entirely different from the perspective of the past of the future. Yet, I am in no doubt that what happened before it unfolded was unimaginable to the degree that as it happened it seized me with a power so terrifying It was unnameable. At the same time, looking back at the event, it definitely happened. And how could it possibly be terrifying? It wasn't even necessary. Now, already over. From the point of view of the past, since what happened occurred as a double negative. If we could rewind the future, nothing would have happened. It is only from the angle of the future that something happened. And from there, what occurred could not be absolutely normal. The story, and the story that is told, are therefore not identical. The story cannot be told, although it is being told by me. But that is obviously not the story. Although it is me who tells the story, it is not the same identity as the one that experienced that which would become the story. Still, there is no second person here or there, in the past of the future or in the future of the past. What happened always unfolds backwards, as the last instance is the past closest to the future. The moment with the least past past is the one that will begin the story as it unfolds backwards. But from the future, whatever happened evidently must appear fully conventional, as it otherwise would produce some kind of anomaly or curvature on the continuum of time and space. Time can have no holes or breaks. The future arranges that with unimaginable accuracy. It is the impossibility to not acknowledge that one's identity has transformed independently of oneself that remains in the body as terror, terrifying. Because If my identity can be transformed, it can equally easily be annihilated, for no reason, without reason. Annihilation is a transformation as much as any other. There is nothing that says that I cannot disappear in the next moment or at any other point in time. But as if that is not dreadful enough, the moment after the moment I suddenly vanish nobody can or must be able to remember me because that would be to acknowledge a power that is independent of our world, a contingent power that is indifferent to life and existence and that is the most cruel nightmare of all. If the universe came to be because of an accident it is equally possible that it accidentally could cease to exist. What necessarily must have been in the beginning cannot have been nothing, as nothing is also something. It must have been the negation of nothing. Nothing can precede the negation of nothing, and yet it is precisely from this negation of nothing that the universe must have emerged, and with it, everything within it. Nothing cannot have made an accident appear, and an accident cannot unfold within nothing, especially not within, which is neither with nor in the negation of nothing. What was necessarily in the beginning must have been contingency, In other words, the condition that something, or not, must by necessity happen. It is haunting to consider that contingency is still active. Consequently, the only necessity is that something, or not, must happen and what that is, is contingent. It is even more horrific to acknowledge that contingency is absolutely total or equal and makes no exceptions. In other words, it is equally contingent that the world, humanity or universe will remain absolutely static as it is and that it is annihilated transformed to something absolutely unimaginable, or anything else. There is no grounding stability, and hence there can be absolutely nothing that grounds one's identity. Nor can there be anything that verifies transformation or stability. Yet, if there were something grounding the universe, something static, and defined, the result would be the annihilation of change. It is our lucky day that nothing can be verified, but it is equally the deepest terror of life to really acknowledge this truth. There is no ground for nothing, only the nothing of nothing is grounded and only in itself as one. How do you know? I asked, trying to sound innocent. Time passed after all. The reply was said with the head turned away. As a kid, there was this recurrent dream. Some would call it a nightmare. But as it returned with some frequency, it might just be called something else. A certain thrill in knowing that the dream might come back. Perhaps losing my mind might have made the dream return more often. In the dream, I am standing on the top of a staircase, absolutely terrified, knowing that behind me is a force so powerful it would eliminate me in no time. Indeed, in no time, because this force is the very capacity making my existence possible. It could simply wipe out any trace of me in less than an instant, in no time. It would have been more comforting if my annihilation had taken some time, even if just a second or two, because it would at least imply some sort of effort. In no time, instead, felt as if my existence were absolutely indifferent not even without significance, but rather beyond signification itself. Furthermore, the force would eliminate me if I didn't descend the stairs. The only problem was that the staircase ended in an absolute void that could do nothing other than swallow me in my entirety as if I had never existed. What was in the lower end of the staircase was not something yet it was not nothing either. It was at the same time less tangible than nothing, and a nothing so palpable it was completely impenetrable. It was not nothing, it was something in reverse, or a double negation, and being such it could with certainty be nothing other than an endless stability, an absolute immobility, Standing on the top of the staircase, I was torn between two forms of certain annihilation, both beyond time, yet divided by time. The effect is undeniable, and it could not be otherwise. I am made increasingly immobile as the danger escalates from two directions, each second becoming, if possible, more and more omnipresent, until they form what I would which however in the experience is made completely impossible describe as a double horizon or perhaps more accurately as the dreadful encounter was two incompatible yet simultaneously present horizons but look around was the next thing that was said there is nothing there No, there is something. Even if there is, I can't distinguish it from what isn't. It is everywhere. What is that? It is nothing more or less than that. The emergence of horizon implies the gradual dissolution of perspective. In other words, what is experienced there on the top of the staircase? is that which moves with the same slow lava-like pace as the two horizons expand my sense of existing as a distinct entity fades away this is where horror strikes my innermost being where my bones freeze knowing that when the horizons are completed When every entity of the horizon is identical yet singular, it will also have invaded me to the extent that neither me nor the horizon can distinguish any difference. I will become that which I fear, and that becoming implies to be extinct. What I fear is obviously not something, but an all-encompassing nothing that will devour me. I am still there on the top of the staircase, the horizon has still not and will never complete itself. I am addicted to my suffering, to the sustained moment between being something that is nothing and being nothing that is something, or being born and dying simultaneously, or being alive without existence or existing without being alive. This story is told, it is told by me, but to me that is neither enough me to tell the story, nor little enough to not tell. I must tell the story that I cannot tell in order not to complete the horizon. Nothing has happened or will happen. Nothing has unfolded and consequently, there is no past or future no past to the future nor any future to the past there is only an endless presence a suspense without resolution there is no escape or proper imprisonment I'm in time coinciding with time which simultaneously is an instance outside time caught in an instance so infinitesimal It is undividable. If it weren't, how could it be an instance in the first place? So brief it is nothing and simultaneously unfolds as horizon. Time will tell, she said. No, it won't. Nothing will be told because nothing has occurred. Afterwards, if afterwards exists, after what? What unfolded was so limitlessly weird that it could absolutely not exist. Yet it was undeniably there. I was convinced that if I were to comprehend what happened, the result would be that I would lose my senses. It could only be grasped by somebody or something that wasn't human anymore. Maybe this something would still look like a human, but its existence would necessarily be altogether different, a human different in kind, or a different kind of human. There we are again. At this moment relations between time, space and location appear to reverse, because how can something be understood in the sense of after? if the result of what happened was such that the very understanding of comprehension transformed not probabilistically like how it happens daily that my understanding of something or the universe changes gradually a gradual and reactive transformation No, I'm speaking about a deeply violent change a transformation from something known so to say familiar territory to an unknown to which the previously familiar suddenly is absolutely foreign perhaps even worse it is so foreign it could absolutely not have existed what is the afterwards of that which must not have existed similarly from where must that which is now have appeared It cannot, and at the same time must have, appeared from nowhere or nothing. This is where horror opens its jaws, because as if nothing were not enough, you know as well as I that something cannot and must, like a slimy, unnameable, detestable darkness so incredibly abominable it is beyond any kind of representation have crawled over the fence of double negation out of the nothing of nothing What time is it? I asked It's just time, was the response Was there an alternative? Yes, I could deny it all Whatever it was that had unfolded, whatever it was that I had encountered, I could deny it, also to myself, its entire existence, its very being. What time is it, I asked again. It's that time, was the response. But it had happened to me, even if I could deny what had unfolded, completely negated what could not be undone what could not be denied was the experience that what happened had transformed me irreversibly hence to reject what had happened would implicitly mean to deny myself i would have to live as the ghost of my previous self but without grounds since the transformation that was forced upon me Was irreversible. As I come to these thoughts, I am again shaken by convulsions of fear. I would be haunted by myself as a ghost without representation. To deny what happened would mean to exist in the endless abyss of nothing. The cradle of fear is not something it is always nothing it is not restricted to children or dark nights fear comes upon us when we stand in front of the dreadfulness of nothing it is pure fear just because it offers no character no criteria onto which i can hold it is but its being is undisclosed not as in not revealed but in the horrifying reality that there is nothing to reveal. That was what I was standing in front of. That is what I am still standing in front of until the horizon closes. And until then, the eye that I am familiar with is fading. I am fading. I am disappearing in front of my own eyes. This is central to how fear escalates and becomes utterly terrifying. I'm disappearing because nothing, in its doubled form, looks back at me without eyes, without character, without criteria, but as pure and essential being. What is that? I ask. It's just some shadows, Maybe the old garden furniture. I want to land. A third option is substitution. The introduction of something known and reliable where nothing rules. As perspective melts away and the dark intensity of the double horizon arises, an escape route is enabled. It opens through an additive gesture implanting an artificial supplementary narrative like a wedge between the two horizons. This is not a deviation, a refusal or blockage which would rather associate with denial, but indicates an impossibility of withdrawal or possibly an attraction to a darker pattern a form of jouissance superimposed with a desperate need to secure a territory. Are you sure, really sure? Of course I'm sure, I am after all your mother. This story is told, it is told by me and in order to make it possible to say the story, I will explain it. Although I know it is not accurate, I will convince myself that what unfolded can be explained and I will make it imaginable to live with what happened through the introduction of a substitute, a wedge that disables the dark impatience of the double horizon. I will cover the tracks of the impossible, the track of fear with the artificial light of reason. Like my mother when we and my brother were small, convincing us that it was just the shadows created by the moonlight falling through the old oak trees, when all three of us knew something was out there, something that didn't belong to this world then and still doesn't, or convincing us that something was there that wasn't, that would explain the occurrence, or, simpler, create enough stability for reason to construct something that could be put away and forgotten in the windings of our minds. Let's go out and check, don't you think? No, we'd better stay inside. It's already late and it's probably raining too. This was another kind of shadow, not that kind the result of reflections, or the lack of light, something that could rationally be explained using physics and common sense. No, these shadows were not the result of something. They, or it, was something in itself. In retrospect, it seems as if it had for many years existed in the shadows, biding its time disguised as any other shadow but always in the darkest corners. At moments you might experience those shadows more intensely. A sense of nausea. A sudden move. Dark fleeting moments when a shadow is suddenly traversed by a deeper opacity. Perhaps you withdraw a little experiencing a slight unease in the upper part of your spine or the other way around, you suddenly experience a slight tingle of anxiety realizing that you have to put your foot a few centimeters to either side, but not where it was supposed to end up. Nothing is there to be stepped upon except the usual linoleum carpet, and yet Something gave clear indication not to be stepped upon. You just don't put your foot there. Nobody was particularly bothered. We could coincide, live superimposed, belonging to different kinds of realities. After all, the shadows didn't gossip. They weren't intimidated if we forgot to invite them to a barbecue, Or like a pet that you forget to give food, being pissed off for a few days. Anyway, it was probably the dog that first reacted to how the shadows started to exist more and more independently. They didn't hide anymore, didn't camouflage, but hung out like the dark circles under somebody's eyes where you'd least expect to find them on a mirror in the hallway, occupying a corner of a table in the extra room we never really used. Or simply lying around, one part in the sofa, the other leaning, if that's what shadows do, against a wall. Our dog's reactions were rational, based on trial and error. She simply stayed away from the darker corner, avoiding murkier parts of the house and moved her basket to the middle of the living room. No matter how many times we moved it back to what we called her corner, it was soon moved to the middle again. After another few months, the dog stopped spending time in the garden. The moment it left the house, it was immediately heading for the street. ...connecting the house with civilization, She was still happy about our long walks in the forest behind the house... ...but the garden was off limits. You can understand at this moment the shadow had also conquered the garden. Towards the end, the dog wouldn't move from the basket... ...and we had to carry her to and through the house as she refused to take a single step on the lawn or driveway. It lasted forever. or well, that was our experience. The dog was so annoying. Our attempts to make it accept the shadow were fruitless. One day she was gone. We didn't specifically discuss the matter as we knew that the shadows had taken the dog. We simply let her basket stay where it had always been. We just stopped feeding it and the leash started to collect dust on its hook in the hallway. Initially it was a bit awkward, but as we had gotten used to the shadows we got used to this too. At some point my brother suggested that one pet was enough. Now we had the shadows. Without noticing, we had started to somehow care for it, or them. No, it was only one, even though it didn't articulate itself as one contained entity. Instead, it could spread out, divide itself, and expand and contract more or less independently. There were moments, a few times, days, when we had thought it had vanished. But we always knew it was there. Its presence was poignant, even when invisible. The shadow was one, but contrary to a human or a tree, it was more like a culture or some weird kind of mushroom that, in a very subtle way, occupied space. Symbiotic rather than competitive. It didn't need to claim territory along its trajectory to omnipresence. It was nothing except that slightly deeper shade of the absence of light. We tried to smell it, but nothing. We tried to capture smaller parts in a jar, and it obviously didn't work. We tried all kinds of strategies, but it was nothing else than that slight murkiness. Nothing more. The first sign was leaving the blinds down. First, the spaces facing away from the street. But it didn't take many weeks before we just left all the blinds down. Well, actually, there were moments when we brought them up. Just before and after midnight, when the moon was new and left that particular blue tinted light, it was as if the shadow liked to play with the new moon's light. Then came candles, and from there on it escalated step by step until the shadow was all we cared for. We all rushed home as soon as we could to serve the shadow. Friends weren't welcome anymore, and we rarely left the house, except for necessary shopping. In the beginning, we used excuses of all kinds, but also excuses faded, and we became shadows of the folks we once were. What started as elementary shadow play, creating forms with our hands and the like, had become a compulsion that family members spent hours and hours doing. But most of the time, and especially our parents, were just looking at how the shadows moved and took new shapes. Not because they resembled anything, but simply because it moved. Sometimes so slow it was imperceptible, sometimes rapidly like the ocean during a storm. Initially, my father took note, and made some attempts to measure its movement statistically. But after some time, all those attempts faded, and we just observed it. Hour after hour, day after day, we were absolutely mesmerized, as the shadow filled the houses every corner. It was everywhere, on the floor, and on walls, and furniture our bodies, inside cupboards and drawers, between books lying around and enveloping flowers my mother had arranged on the living room table. It was everywhere and it was nothing, but at least it was nothing and that was enough for us. We could talk about it, discuss how it changed in correlation to the weather or whatever we found inspiring. obsessed possessed by nothing perhaps we were a bit paler than other people but it wasn't worth mentioning it might be that we avoided certain groceries but not more than somebody intolerant to gluten or just aware of organic food and ecology which we also were at some point or conversation ended house fell silent. It wasn't that we had nothing to say. It was just that it appeared so futile in comparison to spending time with the shadow. It didn't prevent us from anything, but then again, it didn't inspire us to verbal exchange either. I liked to sit on the floor like a mermaid just letting my fingertips overlap with it, letting it from time to time invade me while, at other times, moving out of its way as it expanded into the space I occupied. We didn't do shadows anymore. It was a long time since we had stopped giving the shadow names or recalling its small yet comic talent. It was just us and the shadow. At some point the candles also faded. The shadow had exterminated everything except the four of us, even shadows. It was only it and it slowly consumed us. Without haste, it took its time, without any grand gestures, until one day when it left. might have been in April or October, who knows. It didn't matter, and for the shadow it mattered even less. It had taken what it wanted, it had consumed what it needed, and it appeared absolutely indifferent to whatever it left behind. It had produced an excessively abstract kind of life, and suddenly when it withdrew, when it suddenly took away all those liberties that it had given us that was when fear struck us it was only in retrospect that the shadow produced the unbearable sensation of having been robbed or tortured not something physical but of the self of having been determined by something that cannot be negotiated something that is but is nothing. Horror has no function. It is pure form. It is unreserved abstraction. In some ways it is black and white, endlessly close to bliss and yet pure darkness. It is a pure sign of affect. Horror can only mean a sign whose sense is inseparable from its content Horror, in its pure form, refers to nothing outside its own enactment. It is one with the enactment of its meaning. Pure science, and hence horror, are pure events, simultaneously reflexive and relational. Horror is denotation, highly artificial and constructively stuck with paradox horror is eminently suspect and equally sublime however this does not prevent it from being true affectively true the truth of horror is of an affective order don't you agree it was like living with a pet I said Something like that. And it didn't eat either. Until it ate us, somebody answered. Devoured us, I thought. But didn't mention it. But it did matter. Because something about it had to do with eroticism. In the midst of darkness the entire body turns into an erogenous capacity. And eroticism turns into combat, a combat that includes ludic elements, an orgasmic existence that, because of the opacity of darkness, the absence of angle, or absence in general, has exchanged survival with devouring. Charles Darwin has too quickly been understood to unconditionally equate animal behavior with instinct. The beast follows its instincts and all its behavior is derived thereof. The animal doesn't develop culture but is destined to live in accordance with its instincts no matter what. If so, my cat is not an animal or it must be understood that the animal, indeed, superimposed on its instinct, has the ability to improvise. My cat plays with plastic toys and other cats. The play tends to replicate combat but isn't. The cats aim for vulnerable parts of the body but don't bite. Nibbles, it represents the bite. A series of movements, even a strategy, might be that of combat. It is the gesture of combat, but it is not fulfilled. My cat, as most cats, mimes fighting, and it does it with style. Play is conducted in the style of combat. With this in mind, it goes without saying that the cat and most probably all animals, has the ability to improvise using gesture, be creative, so much for instinct. But why are Darwin's theories today still powerful and generously applied? The result of devaluing the animal to following instinct is practical and offers some solutions. As long as the animal is acting on givens, i.e. instinct, as long as it doesn't use or develop consciousness, humans don't need to consider what it is thinking, whether it is suffering or not, whether it is conspiring against the human race or not. An animal whose ability to improvise and play, use gesture, and produce some sort of meta-language is one in respect of which humans need to consider a different kind of ethics. What time is it, I said. Too late, was the response. One animal, or many, especially small ones, consisting perhaps only of one cell that are degraded to the sole function of instinct, might be a threat. But it is a threat that is easily dealt with. Since we can know, it will not suddenly change its strategy. It will not surprise us with a counter move that we are not able to predict. An animal, however, that carries the possibility for improvisation, an animal or many animals, especially those that reproduce through division, that is not easily predictable or determinable is an altogether different story. This is the moment when the cuteness of animals, the apparent helplessness of animals, turns against us in the form of fear or terror. Not just because the animal, or many at this point, possesses the ability to produce counter-strategies, but because the animal's modes of improvisation or creativity are contingent relative to human strategies, whatever they might be. What time is it? I asked. That is not for us to know, proposed a distant voice. Some philosopher might have proposed something in the direction of, if lions would speak English, we wouldn't understand anything because the lion's access to the world is through a mind that is incompatible with ours. What invokes fear in humans is the fact that the motivation of animals, big or small, many or really many, is completely improbable. It is indeterminable, at least, at some point, and humans can have no idea when this point occurs. The moment when humans at some point recognize the necessity that animals do improvise, play, strategize and possess creativity. Humans will have to live with the terrifying knowledge that animals might commit revenge on us at any moment, without notice. And without any noticeable sign of regret, guilt or recognition of suffering. whispered, it is their time, said nobody in particular. It was not the darkness that made my bones shiver, nor that endlessly opaque blackness. It was black. It was called black. And its name was Black. The reason fear was leaking out of my innermost core, infesting every molecule of my body, was the undeniable experience that blackness was alive that it however imperceptibly moved, changed shape and transformed as if it were observing even calculating the behavior of its environment it was an organism that inhabited the world with a form of consciousness and as it transformed it emitted a dim light Perhaps not a light, but over its blackness drifted a vibrant illumination, a black glow that appeared to oscillate between an infinite heat and a coldness beyond human measure. As if this were not enough, The black mass discharged a kind of mute sound created by thousands of singular creatures buried within its black depth. It was, at the same time, the songs of mermaids luring sailors into the abyss, the silenced screams of soldiers left to die on the battlefield. It was the imploded cries of parents losing their children ice cold roar of revenge the quivering regret of failure and that was only the beginning of the pain that this disorganized symphony radiated the blackness was no longer over there it was space itself, the positive and the negative it was both that most tangible black and its obverse and it invaded me at the same time as my bones, my flesh, my blood, froze into a night of a thousand years. It was not the blackness, it was not even the undeniable fact that it was alive, not even the pain it emitted, or the sensation that it was ancient, so old that it ventured beyond the limits of time. It was the truth that what this life was was not of this world. This illuminated blackness appeared to grow in all directions, yet the experience was that it simultaneously withdrew into itself. Like Sisyphus, it was engaged in an eternal cycle of rebirth. But here, because it was devouring itself as it grew, with a stronger and stronger intensity, The blackness without doubt exists but is not alive. As it moves autonomously it must be undead. The undead has no life and therefore no identity. The undead that exist among us implicitly inform us of the vulnerability of life, about the possibility that life does not exist but is only a figment of our minds. This story is told It is told by me, me beside times, caught in between past and future, hit by the irreversible arrow of times passing, in the crosshair of the two emerging horizons, chained to a void next to the shadows, illuminated only by a living negative of life, pure existence. And yet it is my story and I, who have been irreversibly transformed by that which unfolded into something that happened, that could not happen, and when it did, must always have been capable of happening. That's where I am, sinking into the abyss of an absolutely sublime horror, absolute form unconditionally liberated from function, It is not the humans, nor the remains of humans, like Egyptian mummies. Not even ghosts, monsters or animals. If this was what happened, it could have been described. What time is it for the last time? Time is. Things or objects have their place in the world. They exist and they secure forms of stability. But as the sun is setting and darkness covers our planet night arrives and a black darkness dissolves the contours of things. It is then, when darkness is so dense that it erases time, obliterates recognition and familiarity, dissolves distance and builds a fatal bridge between life and existence, between being and nothing, that things are released from their prisons of stability from the staticness of their existence, and build capacities of improvisation, play, and creativity. The withdrawal, evidenced as a crackling over the radio, in a black so bright, not even nothing can be determined. It is then that things coincide with themselves to form a universe of endless equality, Establishing a circuit of reciprocal potentialization enabled by the creation of a mutually inclusive zone of indiscernibility that doubles the affirmation of every existence's difference with an included middle. This is the one in the last instance, a limitless existential territory where thought and creation folds in on itself and the sublime horror experienced that by necessity transforms us irreversibly nebulously explodes into an endless presence